Pass First point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this very episode. Today's show is also our latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag show answering listeners' submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. Tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you tag it as a mailbag in some form or fashion. Or just wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I will send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet. I will do my best to get you in a show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to do it. Like I said, we do mailbag every week. I record it on Mondays and post it on Tuesdays. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night keeps mailbag away from your ears so let's get into it the very first question of the show comes from dave clausen at dave clausen 86 on twitter who asks can you walk through the summer schedule draft and free agent signing period etc yeah i'd love to i think this is a great time to sort of get the timeline down dave so thanks for this prepper we're kind of walking this will help us walk into mailbag with a timeline of what's next the biggest thing that's next is the draft combine it begins next week a week from today as i'm recording this it'll be june 21st on a monday in-person workout for workouts for draft hopefuls uh, by invite only. NBA teams are allowed to be there. That was something that had to be worked out for COVID protocols, but they'll be there. Draft combine next, beginning next week, uh, June 21st through 27th. Uh, next Tuesday, June 22nd, a big, big, big day for teams not named the Trailblazers, but the NBA draft lottery will set the draft order of the first 14 picks in the draft. Uh, obviously, a once t- once the draft order is defined, uh, you can sort of more clearly start to parse out trades, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The NBA draft itself will be held about uh, five weeks later, July 29th, the 2021 NBA draft. And then basically right after the draft ends, the free agent period will begin August 2nd. Uh, that's when, uh, I mean, here's, I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret. The tampering, free agent discussions, all that shit is already happening right now. But it can officially happen, like we can, the, the sort of legalized tampering of uh, negotiations can begin to happen August 2nd. And then there's four day of a dead period. Uh, and then August 6th, the teams can officially begin signing free agents. So really free agents begins like in earnest August 2nd. Uh, you know, that's when all the big announcements will come out. The fireworks happen usually in those first six hours or so. And then August 6th, all those things will become official. Uh, and then summer league, August 8th through 17th. All 30 teams in Vegas. Then the end of September, training camp starts back up. And October 19th, the 2021-2022 regular season will begin across the league. So yeah, that is your timeline. Next question comes from Lex from PDX who asks, Norman Powell is estimated to command $18 to $20 million annually in free agency. For comparison purposes, how much do you think C.J. McCollum would command if he was a free agent this offseason? I think it's a really good question, right? Like I, I, I like... Um, I like the framing of this to be like, how much is Norman Powell worth versus how much would CJ McCollum be worth? Like CJ is going to make $32 million this year, but if he was on the open market, how much would he command? Because a lot of what we've talked about on this podcast is that maybe CJ is not thought of as, as you know, he's thought as 
too, too expensive and 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 like you know kind of negative a negative value at his at his price point at his contract at the size of his contract i think um cj's commanding something like 25 plus million um in in free agency i think i think that's about right uh john hollander of the athletic his um i forget what it's called off the top of my head but his his player value contract value projection system said cj was worth it just north of 26 million so i think yeah like 25 million on the open market for um you know a guy 29 years old entering the back half of his prime yeah like cj is better than norman powell don't get it twisted like he's a better basketball player um it's just the question is about fit like fit on the roster i think is, is is where we're at next question comes from rich meyer at rich 47 on twitter who asks Whenever there's a head coaching vacancy in the league, it seems like Dame and CJ lament that David Vanderpool does not get hired. Why don't we hear them lobbying the Blazers to hire him? Well, for a couple reasons. One, um, Dame tried to lobby for a head coach, and it went over very, very poorly. First of all, it was noteworthy because lobbying for your team to hire a coach in public is a messy business, and the Blazers had no interest in hiring the person he was lobbying for, and that person had to pull out of the... uh, pull out of the job search within within 36 hours of Dame publicly lobbying for him saying I wish I wish the team the best but it's not going to be me because the person that you lobby for then becomes your choice versus the franchise's choice and if they're not on the short list and and if David Vanderpool has not been on the short list it gets messy so I think that's the biggest thing I think I think you just you players don't publicly lobby for their team to hire someone uh you mostly you see damon cj saying like david vanderpool deserves a shot or you know someone give him a job but lobbying for your team is just a totally that's like be sort of beyond the realm and what dame did was was very out of character for not just him but like literally any nba player i'm, I'm sure i for to my mind it's unprecedented that a star player has done something of that level for someone who is not already on the roster or already on the coaching staff and you're like promoting a guy to get hired you know promoted from within um but th- I think the Blazers aren't interested in David Vanderpool at all. Um, like the Blazers front office aren't interested in David Vanderpool at all. If he was, if they were interested in him, they would have paid to have him stay. They wouldn't have, you know, he went and got a pay raise in Minnesota. They would have done what it takes to keep him. Also, they would have just already hired him. Like if he was the guy, um, he hasn't been listed on any of their short lists. He hasn't been, he hasn't, um, you know, he was, he was, when the, when the Timberwolves hired Chris Finch, it was obvious that David Vanderpool's time was done in Minnesota. If you wanted to hire him, you could have just fired Terry and done it right then and there. Um, I just think there's a ton of signs that suggest the Blazers front office has no interest in hiring David Vanderpool and because of the way the politics work Dame and CJ can't uh and won't particularly CJ but Dame won't uh just you know publicly um publicly campaign for anyone because he did publicly campaign for one for someone like within hours of Terry Stotts losing his job and it turned out to be messy and like kind of headlines and since then Dame has um he's smartly gone dark and declined declined interviews and and no commented jason quick etc like he's he's done the smart thing which is like i tried to get in it it was messy it was bad now i'm getting out this next question comes from aa lax at aa lax one on twitter who asks you're the gm and you're looking for a new coach are you are your expectations for hiring a new coach that they will be there for 20 years or five do your expectations differ with an established team or a young team love this question um it's it's i like that i I like the, a lot of the questions are sort of like theoretical this time of year. Um, and I think that's like a, 
it's it's a more interesting approach than uh, than asking me just to give my opinion because first of all, my, some of my opinions are bad and some of them are uh, you know just irrelevant. So I think like the theoretical approaches uh, is it strikes me as more a more interesting uh, way for me personally to think about this team. So I don't think you're ever hiring a coach for 20 years um, just because um, who coaches for 20 years in the league? Like Terry Stotts was the third longest tenured coach in the NBA. And he had been coaching for nine years. Like he was, he was an anomaly at nine years. And we're talking Popovich and Eric Spolstra other than him. Like guys just don't last that long. So you're always hiring for like a five-year window. Uh, you know, the longest NBA contract you can sign is for five years. Uh, rookie contracts are for four years. Uh, the longest free agent non-max contracts you're signing for four years for guys off your team is a four-year contract. So like you're always kind of moving in these sort of two to four, two to five-year chunks. So I, th- I think you're, you're picking for five years. And, and with a veteran team, you're, or even maybe saying, I want a coach who can who can coach for three really good seasons. And with a younger team, you're saying five to eight. I think that would be the difference in the two. Um, but it's always, your window is so small. You're just not aiming that big in the NBA because, I mean, you just never know. In fact, there's a question that, that's not going to make the show was like, what do I see? How, how do I see the Blazers like playing out over the next 10 years? And uh, that is just, that is too broad. Um, rookies who will be in the NBA 10 years from now are in the third grade. Uh, that's... I can't go back that far. I don't I haven't scouted the third graders yet. Next question comes from Blazers Futurist at Justin underscore B underscore leak on Twitter, who asks, if you got naming rights to the Moda Center, what would you change the name to? I'd call it the Rose Garden. No corporate sponsors, no private healthcare money, none of that. Call it the Rose Garden. We got more questions to answer in the second segment, but first we got to give out some hardware. That's right. It is the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And this week, it goes to none other than Zach Collins. Look, Zach Collins just absolutely exhibits all of the qualities that we look for in these ultra players of the week. He brings a great deal of joy. He has a great deal of enjoyment in the game. And he's someone who has plenty of reasons to to be frustrated. He's played 11 games in two years. But that wasn't sulking Zach Collins you saw on the sidelines all year. That was someone flashy dressing, super engaged, talking smack, having fun, celebrating his teammates. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And Zach Collins proved that he could truly, truly enjoy it. We don't know what's next for, for Zach Collins, but if you believe, like the folks at Michelob Ultra do, that joy creates success, well, success is on the way for Zach Collins because he was absolutely joyful on the sidelines this year. A man who, who made watching the Blazers bench worth it. Not just because he has a fun middle part, but also because he's, he's loving the game and loving the team. And if you do, you can see yourself in Zach. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories... There's more to enjoy with Michelob Ultra. And remember, enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. All right, let's keep it rolling. More questions in this glorious Mailbag Monday. This next one comes from Pineapples on the Government at M. Burchetters on Twitter, who asks, if Neil Olshay stays and Zach Collins is healthy, how does the 3-4-5 shake out with Robert Covington, Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic, Derek Jones Jr., Carmelo Anthony, Ennis Cantor, and Norman Powell, assuming all are on the roster next season. Well, I think that's a little bit messy because I think it's very unlikely that all of those gentlemen are back. Uh, I think Zach Collins is likely to re-sign with the Blazers just judging by everything Neil has done in his tenure. He loves his guys. Um, I imagine Zach gets something like a one-plus-one 
you know, guaranteed in year one, non-guaranteed in year two to prove that he can prove that he can be a, be an NBA player. Um, he might be able to go, go get more somewhere else. He might be interested in, in, in spreading his wings and going somewhere else, but I can't imagine his value is higher around the league than it would be with Neil Olshay. We'll see. So I think Zach's back. Covington's under contract. Assume he's going to be back. Yusuf Nurkic is going to be back uh, unless a big trade happens. Derek Jones Jr., uh, he's a question mark. Unlikely to, you know, he can. He has a player option. He could opt out for, and go go search for greener pastures but i think it's he's an easy sell for the blazers brass terry stotts didn't like you we're gonna have a new coach he'll use you the right way you know you'll blah 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 blah. mellow and and his canter free agents norman powell free agent like i think those are the question marks uh i think norman powell's like the blazers if if they do end up trading cj i think you just ask norman powell what he wants and write him the check um if they if they don't move cj and it just doesn't make sense i think you kind of i I kind of get the feeling that they'll let Norm walk because just loading up, you know, with all the sort of like obvious frustration from Damian Lord is like running back the same team with a more expensive version of Norman Powell. Like really, does that suggest that you're going for it? Um, you might get worse, so that might not feel good. But um, I think like continuity is not exactly what the team is looking for necessarily, even if the starting line was really good and Norm is a really good basketball player. And he's one of my faves. Um, I, I kind of think Mello is gone. That would be, I would lean gone. If I had to guess, lean gone. And I kind of think the Blazers should move on from Cantor, although I wouldn't be surprised if they don't. So how it shakes out is that the starting lineup looks nearly identical with a question mark for Norm. Uh, Zach, Zach Collins comes off the bench along with Derek Jones Jr. And Mello and Cantor are not on the roster. That's my, that's my guess in June, but who knows? Uh, Rose Garden Degenerate at Rose Garden Degen asks, what's the likelihood of Nazir Little getting increased minutes next year? We have reached the part of the podcast where everyone is asking about two players, Nazir Little and Anthony Simons, the Blazers' two best young prospects. Everybody wants to know. And Rose Garden Degen is the first person to get uh, to get on the docket. Uh, Nazir Little will play more minutes next year. 100% chance. Don't even worry about it. Now I think it would be I think it would be a poor roster construction to pencil Nazir Little in for like to not bring someone in that he would have to compete with for minutes. Like I don't think you want to carve out space and say, okay, Nazir Little is our backup three and four. We have that position covered. Let's not worry about it. You know, okay, we're gonna bring Derek Jones Jr. and Nazir Little off the bench. We don't need other wings. Like just a- add competition. Add competition at those spots. Like the best case scenario for the Blazers is that DJ and Nas are competing with someone who's like equally good. Um, at that spot for minutes off the bench. That's the best case scenario. Nick at coach at coach underscore Nick 89 on Twitter asks, is Ant ready for a feature role off the bench as the sixth man of this team? Uh, probably not. No. Um, I, every time it's pretty good at one thing. Like he's an elite shooter. He's an elite shooter in the league. And it's, it's in some ways the most valuable skill, right? Is he can shoot off the dribble and he's an elite catch and shoot shooter. Like he's, he's just nails from three. Uh, we have enough, we've seen him enough to kind of know that he's capable of doing that. He can get, a, he can get his three off the bounce, super valuable. Um, he's, he's an ace, uh, you know, in the, in the top, you know, 90, 95th plus percentile in the league in catch and shoot, uh, three point shooting. Like he's really freaking good at it, but he just doesn't do much else. He's a really bad defensive player. He doesn't get to the rim. He doesn't get fouled. He's not a playmaker. Um, 
Ant can get stronger this offseason and add more to his game. And when if he adds more to his game, then he can be ready for a significant bench role. Like he played a bunch last year, right? But like sixth man, like as the Blazers like sixth best player or or like offensive focal point off the bench. No, he's not he was he does not appear to be ready for that. Um it would be it would be good for the Blazers if I am wrong. Gone fishing at Paint and PDX asks, what current non-roster, non excuse me, what current roster non-starter Blazer player do you expect to see the most growth from next season, assuming they're still with the team? We got more of the same here. Burnsy at Justin the Burns on Twitter asks, who has a higher floor slash ceiling? Anthony Simons or Nazir Little? And all good at Julio Cantu on Twitter asks, what are your thoughts on the progression of Amphrey Simons and Nazir Little this past season? Can either one of them step into the starting role next season? How close is Nas to being the best Tar Heel in the league? We'll get to the, we'll get to the Nazir Little question, I promise. But I wanted to take all three of these together. Uh, I think like what we're at, what you're asking Peyton PDX here is basically like, is Ant or Nazir Little going to take a, a bigger step? Um, because I'm not like, I'm not a CJ Ellaby believer and everyone else in the Blazers roster is kind of like a not a I don't, finished product as mean because CJ was better this year than he's been in the past like he took a big step offensively um, in terms of his shot profile and his, and his, his assist numbers etc uh, but like you know veterans are veterans they're just not going to take like a wild leap like CJ got better and it's incremental and then it didn't it doesn't feel better from where we're sitting here here so it's really young guys like which of the young guys can take a big jump uh you know I think I feel like the default answer is like if Zach Collins plays like 35 games for the Blazers next season it's him right but uh my my guess is that like most growth I'm gonna guess uh Nazir Little because I think he's more more raw and I think I think some of his issues, like I know a lot of people think that he's a good defensive player. I've seen this a lot on Twitter. They talk about he's like a lockdown defender. I don't see that when I watch Nazir Little play. I see someone with defensive tools. I also see him like go under screens at weird times and get lost on switches at weird times. Like I see him look confused on the defensive end. Um, So I think he can just take a big step forward by being sharper. Like just the experience of playing, watching a whole bunch of film, learning how to just sort of be dialed in on that stuff. And like he has the physical profile that if he was, uh, you know, higher basketball IQ on the defensive end and and just like less mistakes in the defensive end, he's he's really good all of a sudden, right? Like he's really useful at his um, size and his athleticism and his strength. Like he could just like cutting out on doing, just like being more sort of like game plan attentive to his matchup. Like Nazir Little is just a better basketball player. Uh, same thing he sometimes gets lost on offense with like reads, like not, not the like plays, I mean, but like uh, when it's like, if when one guy screens and it's you have to like read and react off of those actions, which are um, a part of the Stotts offense, which you know we'll see what what the next coach does, but Nazir would be the same way. So I, I feel like he can sharpen up just sort of like mental stuff and take a huge huge step forward. Uh, higher floor ceiling, I think it's Ant because of the off the dribble creation stuff. Uh, the ability to score score off the dribble is the most valuable skill in the league for an offensive player, and Anthony Simons has hints of that. Now if he can't get downhill and get to the rim ever, or he ever sort of like develops the strength to finish around the basket or the sort of um, style to attack the rim and uses athleticism to really be someone who puts pressure on the rim, then it doesn't really matter that he can shoot off the dribble. Like he's, 
he, he reminds me of J.R. Smith. He's an elite athlete, but really what he is when he's on the court is just a shooter, um, which is kind of like what J.R. developed into. He was like this super freak athlete, slam dunk champion type, uh, but really like late in his career, he's like a spacer. That's what he became. And I, I worry that Simons is heading in that direction, but I still think the ability to create off the dribble gives uh, Ant a better, uh, higher ceiling. I'll go higher floor Nas because of the things I just discussed in the previous question. Like I think he has the tools to be a valuable defensive player as early early as this fall. Um, it might take another full year, but um, as early as this fall, I think he could be a good defensive player in the league, or at least like a, a solid defensive option in some cases. Um, as a team defender, maybe not like an elite one-on-one defender. And Julio Cantu was curious if either of them can step into a starting role next season. Uh, that would be bad news for the Blazers, straight up. Straight up. Like if Nas or Ant are starting for this team, they are not competing for a championship. Uh, you want those guys to be part of the rotation because you drafted them and there's like, you know, you're invested in them and, and they both have some promise, right? To like be valuable. But if either of those two dudes are starting for the Blazers on night one, uh, this is not a championship level team and, and it's it, you've, you had a bad summer. <laughs> like things went wrong this summer or or things went weird and Neil's really leaning into his um, leaning into his draft picks. So uh, you don't want, I don't think either of them are starting caliber players right now. I don't expect either of them to be starting caliber players in the fall, um, but you want them both to be heavy rotation guys, guys who can contribute and play a bunch. Um, there's a, there's, you you want them to be part of the nightly plan because they're really good and too good to not be part of the plan. Uh, I think that's 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 sort of the projection for them next season. How close is Nas to being the best Tar Heel in the league, though? Close, he's close to being like in the conversation, but Harrison Barnes is the best Tar Heel in the league, followed by Danny Green. Then it's like a combination of shooters, Reggie Bullock, Cam Johnson, Wayne Ellington. For my money, I would go Reggie, Cam, Wayne, but you could convince me uh, pretty much any combination of the of the three of those. And then Kobe White, I think, is already better than Nazir Little. Um, and then Nas is right there. He has a path to being, I mean, Father Time's going to catch up with Bullock and Ellington pretty quickly. So he has a path to being like the fourth best Tar Heel in the NBA next season pretty easily. Um, but the rise to the Barnes-Danny Green level um, is, is a ways away. But I feel like Harrison Barnes, um, he was a better, you know, better college basketball player, more skilled offensive player than Nas was at that age. Uh, but like Harrison Barnes is like a really nice, that would be an incredible ceiling, right? If, if Nazir Little can turn into that, um, then you've, you've really got a really good player where the Blazers picked him in the draft. All right, let's come back in the third segment and answer more of your questions on this wonderful mailbag Monday. But first... Let's talk about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Whatever it is, they got it. You want NBA playoff odds, you want NHL playoff odds, you want Major League Baseball games, you want WNBA games, you want UFC and MMA, you want golf, they got it. It's all on there. Check the website. You can find real-time scores and props on almost anything you can imagine. So head on over there, like I said, betonline.ag. And while you're making your first deposit, make sure you put in that promo code locked on, and you will get a 50% welcome bonus. That is betonline.ag. The promo code is locked on, and you will get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. It's the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. And 
RockAuto.com just, they make it easy for you. They got everything you need in a few easy clicks. All of it will be delivered directly to your door. And I really mean everything. They got hundreds of parts from hundreds of manufacturers, be it engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, you name it, they got it. Their online catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. They've got the parts that brick and mortar stores don't, and they've got them at cheaper prices. That's the best part about rockauto.com. Their prices are always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. There is no special mechanics prices. You, You will not pay twice as much for the same parts like you might at other places. Don't do that. Go to rockauto.com, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. And you're still listening to Locked on Blazers. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Sheriff of Portland at Zero Sum on Twitter who asks, how do you think the Blazers did as a whole with the rollout of bringing fans back? Uh, You know, it's hard to say because I wasn't in other arenas. So I don't like... I don't have a sense of, you know, I've seen them on TV. Like the, the Suns arena is very intimidating. It's full of people and no one's wearing masks. Um, I just, I guess, on a personal level, I don't think I'm ready for a 20,000 person arena like that. Madison Square Garden, same, like same thing. It didn't, it wasn't, you know, full of full capacity, but it was, you know, 17,000 people. Um, and it looked wild, looked fun. Like it's fun to watch fans back in arenas on TV. Like I'm not, I'm not like sort of anti-fan and like, I don't want empty arenas. That, that's, that was bad. It's a bad feeling, uh, made for bad, weird basketball games, uh, two thumbs down. Uh, I'm just talking about sort of my personal comfort here. Um, but I, I don't think I, I, and my experience going to the arena is not exactly the same as like a fan experience. So I don't know how it all works, but and my, my perception of it from where I was is that it was pretty, um, pretty smooth. And that, um, I think, I think setting up a vaccinated section is, is a responsible way to go about it. Uh, I think, you know, they were one of the last teams to, to, uh, have fans and, and Oregon has Oregon's laws are such that we were, if the Blazers had made, uh, made the second round of the playoffs, probably have the fewest fans of any team in the league. Um, we, we could have debated that if we'd got there, the sort of importance of, of uh, you know, local laws impacting basketball fandom and all that stuff. But uh, in general, I think it was fine. Like, I think it was fine. I didn't, um, I didn't get the sense that it was like dangerous at all. Just like walking the arena. I didn't, I did like I said, I, I kind of explained my personal comfort level. Uh, you know, I was, it was cool. Like I thought, I thought it worked out. Um, okay. Uh, but again, I think I would have a better sense of like comparative if I had been to other arenas on the road. And that ain't happening for me these days. Next question comes from Tom in Texas, that Abelok on Twitter who asks, which away arena do you think the Blazers play best in? So I I think Tom, this is Tom in Texas. This is, uh, this question probably deserves like a little more, um, mathematical scrutiny than I'm going to give it, uh, on a mailbag Monday. But, uh, Someone who's someone like a little better uh, at uh, data science and and with a little more time to sort of dig into the numbers could give you uh, their sort of you know just a, a more scientific approach here. Uh, for me, I, my gut says it's the it's Staples Center against the Lakers. Um, you know the Blazers had uh, had had a ton of success against them over the last decade. Um, they've played you know even since LeBron has been there, they've been successful in in Staples Center. 
it's probably the best arena that Dame plays in, the most consistently um, in terms of wins and production, the, the best he's been. So I think it's Staples Center. Um, I know Damian Lord said he likes to play in Madison Square Garden the most, but they've had some stinkers. <laughs> I've had some stinkers in New York because traveling east is for sure difficult. Uh, but so sort of my, my gut says recently the Blazers have had like the most success in against the Lakers in LA, you know, Dame's career numbers against the Lakers. He's averaging 28.7, 4.4 board, seven assists with 46 or excuse me, 47, 40, 90, uh, shooting, uh, percentages that's field goal, three point and free throw shooting. But if you are just looking at an uh, all-time record, the Blazers' all-time record on the road, the best road arena, the road arena where they have the best record in is in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, 37-23 and 23 all-time. Shout-out to the Blazers Media Guide. Uh, I had looked that one up in a book, y'all. That's pretty rare these days that uh, basketball stats is most easily found in my podcast studio or in the media guide that I keep on the shelf. So yeah, Minnesota, I guess, is the play with the arena they play the best. Next question comes from Zachary Jeans at Zachary Jeans on Twitter, who has, who asks, if you could reinvent the Rose Quarter area, what would you do and why? Uh, the biggest thing I'd like to see done in the Rose Quarter arena would be figure out the housing crisis. I would like to build, um, affordable housing for the houseless population that lives by the arena and that the team um, just pretends doesn't exist. Um, That would be my number one solution. Uh, Would I tear down the Memorial Coliseum to build affordable housing? I I probably would. Uh, It's not how zoning works in the city. Uh, That would be my number one concern if we're talking about that area of Portland. Um, I think there's a some sort of halfway solution where you both build affordable housing and tear down Memorial Coliseum and build a baseball stadium and bring a professional baseball team here and you um, all of the birds are taken out with one giant developmental stone. Um, none of that is going to happen. Uh, that's not how that's not how it's going to work. But that would be my solution is um, let's let's reinvent the Rose Quarter area as a place where people can live and survive. Next question comes from Dino at Magic Dino on Twitter, who asks, if you could pick a food vendor at Moda to replace an existing one, what would it be? So I'm not going to replace anyone. I'm not kicking anyone out. I'll just, we'll just set up our own kiosk. And that kiosk will be home to Gonzalez Taqueria. Shout out to the food cart behind the 76 gas station in the Overlook neighborhood, uh, serving just absolutely fantastic burritos and tacos uh, with the kindest people you will ever meet. Uh, they're also, it's kind of hard to come by. They got weird hours. Um, so <laughs> I'd love to have it in the Moda Center so I could get it during a basketball game. Next question comes from VCA at VCA on Twitter, who asks, provided that our starters minus pal stay intact, does a healthy Zach Collins slot in and how much does he change our defensive profile? Listen, the Blake Blazers cannot, cannot, cannot plan to have Zach Collins start and play that kind of role. I don't think you can build a roster in which you are counting on Zach Collins to play X number of minutes. I think you want to, I think they're going to bring Zach Collins back. I think he should be able to compete for minutes off the bench, uh, you know, backup center minutes, backup four minutes if they're really committed to him being a power forward, although I think he's like a center long-term in the league. Uh, You just, there's... If you if you're penciling in Zach Collins or Anthony Simons and Azir Little as a starter on this team next year, you are not winning a championship. You're not doing it. That is just uh, you just need to, you'll just need more talent than that to win a title. And I don't think the Blazers 
spent an entire year saying Zach Collins is the only power forward on our roster and he got hurt in the third game and it tanked a full season. They can't do it again. Next question comes from Jacob Parks at Team Parks on Twitter who asks, does Derek Jones pick up his option because he didn't play or decline his option because he didn't play? I think he picks it up because it's a bunch of money. It's almost almost $10 million, 9.8, I believe, 9.7. He's not going to make that on the open market. Um, I'm not really a Derek Jones believer. I know other people think that he's really good. I know like Lamar Hurd on the Blazers broadcast really liked him. Um, I know, you know, even friend and colleague Jason Quick thinks that he was, he was really good, really good for the Blazers this year. I just never saw it. Um, You know, those are both smart guys. They, They know, you know, I've been watching this team and watch it. It, you know, even closer than me, I'm sure. But to me, I just don't see it. He's not, um, to me, he's, he just doesn't, he just doesn't quite have the physicality to be an elite on ball defender against the best players in the league that you'd ask him to cover that are like size. And he just doesn't have enough offense. I think a different coach could get more out of him. Um, but I don't think he's like going to go hit the open market and make $10 million. I just, that's just not going to happen. So I think he picks up his option and the Blazers can just say, listen, we're going to have a new coaching staff. You'll be utilized in a much better way. You won't just like go from starting the first 55 games to disappearing forever. Um, I think it's an easy sell to bring him back, quite frankly. The Real 74749 at The Real 74749 on Twitter asks, what are your thoughts on referring to the team as the Zers? I think it's fun, but some people seem to hate it. Do what you like. Speak your truth. Don't worry about what other people think. If, you, if you're if you trying to watch the Zers and the Yoffs, go for it. If you're trying to order a za with Ronies and Rooms, go for it. Go for it. Just say whatever dumb stuff that makes you happy. Life is life is so challenging. Anything that brings you joy, hold tightly to it. It's the whole theme of this dang podcast. Next question comes from Waji, who asks, The bench unit was a net negative and one of the big factors for the Blazers struggling on defense this year. Mello and Cantor, as covered extensively this year on the podcast, were some of the main culprits. Do you think the Blazers can significantly improve by building a better defensive unit, getting rid of Mello and Cantor and replace replace them with competent defenders like Zach Collins, Anthony Simons, and Azir Little? plus net positive vets. Yeah, I don't understand exactly how Amphrey Simons got grouped in competent defenders. He's really bad on defense. Nazir Little has the schools, or schools, has the has the tools and skills, I, I made that one word, schools, uh, to be a good defender, but he was not a good defensive player last year. He wasn't. Uh, again, I think a different coaching staff could get more out of Nas. I think a different co- coaching staff would get more out of Ant defensively, but I'm a little worried about sort of his overall defensive ability moving forward. Uh, this is player's play, uh, more so than coach's coach. Uh, Zach Collins, a good defender, has played 11 games in two years. I don't think you can count. I don't, I, the sort of, Get competent defenders on the bench. Hell yeah, I'm with it. Those names, um, I do think some combination of Nas and Derek Jones Jr. provides like better defense off the bench. And depending on what Nazir Little develops into offensively, he could he could provide a little bit of punch. Um, I I think you get a rim prote- another rim protector. You know, all year long I was confused why the Blazers didn't add another center. Everyone was like, what are they going to do before they added Ryan Hollis Jefferson? And I kept I kept naming center names. I kept saying, here's a center, here's a center they could add, here's a center, and then they added a forward who ended up playing small ball center, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it was always puzzling to me. It remains puzzling. I would add a third regardless i would add like if, if it's zach and nurk um and you add even if you say you bring Cantor back i would add another center to the roster i would add another rim protector precisely because sometimes you just need better def- defense on the second unit um yeah i i think that I, I i think that's the direction you want to go i think the blazers need to add more and better defenders like i think if you're going to build around a team around damon cj it the question you have to ask is how do the other parts help 
and uh, Cantor helped by being a good offensive player, and and Carmelo Anthony, when he scored, was was an elite helper. Um, he just doesn't do much else, and Cantor doesn't do much else. Um, they just they're they're good offensive players, and it's hard to when you have Damon CJ on the roster, it's hard to add. Those are just like not complementary skills. So the Blazers, I'm I'm with you, Waji. That they just need to add more complementary skills, whatever that might look like, and that's playmaking and defense for sure. Next question comes from Ian, who asks. What is a foul anymore in the NBA? The longer I've watched the league, the less clear this has become. Even when it goes to review, I feel like they often don't come back with the correct call. In a league that has a recent referee scandal, shouldn't the calls that the league makes be as close to unimpeachable as possible? I mean, some of it is judgment calls and some of it is like interpretation of of those judgment calls. I agree that there's some weird stuff sometimes on review where you think it's going to go one way and it goes the other, but... um, I think the biggest problem with fouls in the league is that fouls are different on different parts of the floor. If you're out on the perimeter, you put two hands on a guy, it's a foul. Uh, Very little physicality away from the rim. And then down in the paint, like watch the playoffs. It is wildly physical for big men. Shoving and elbows and pushing. Like it is so, so, so physical in the paint in the NBA. And then on the perimeter, it's basically no touching rules. The thing that the league needs to figure out is like how to legislate the game so no matter where you are on the court, the rules are the same this next question comes from jamar who asks i was curious what the final dunk total numbers how the final dunk total numbers shook out if damian lillard ended up in close second place uh this is a question back in the first week of march jamar asked uh pointed out that Derek Jones Jr. led the led the team in dunks, but was wondering who, you know, Damian Lord, is he a sneaky candidate to finish second on the team in dunks? And at the time, I just went and re-listened to this day. It's the March 2nd mailbag, if you wanna, if you wanna check the check the stats or whatever. Um so Back in March 2nd, I had said that I, I was still going to lean on Nurk. You know, he hadn't returned yet, but I was still going to lean on Nurk was going to be my pick. And here's how it shook out. Derek Jones Jr. led the team in dunks with 50 in 58 games. Nurk finished with with 28 in 37 games. And Damian Lode finished third with 19 in 67 games. Dame at the time had eight in 31 games and Nurk had seven in just 12 games. Hence, I picked Nurk because uh, when he got back, I knew he was going to dunk way more times than Dame did. Uh, Cantor finished fourth with 16 dunks and Here's your late riser, who would have been a big one, not on the roster at the time that Jamar asked this question, but Norman Powell dunked 13 times in 27 games, Nazir Little 12 times in 48 games. So Derek Jones, your dunk champ. Uh, Nurk, just he's a giant person and he plays a bunch of minutes. Uh, Cantor, not a leaper. Dame, 19 though, nearly 20 dunks for Dame. He uh, he came on strong at the end of the season, or I guess continued his, his dunking ways through the end of the season. This next question comes from Lewis who asks, why does the NBA still insist on calling the MVP a regular season accomplishment? It makes some sense for certain awards like Rookie of the Year and Most Improved to be thought of this way, but there has never been a and likely never would be an MVP winner whose team did not make the playoffs. I feel postseason performance should be taken into consideration for the league's most prestigious individual accolade. On a related note, if the playoffs were considered for the award, do you think the incident, such as Nikola Jokic's unceremonious farewell to the 2020-2021 season, would have kept the voters from handing him the trophy? Yeah, I, I kind of think, Lewis, you are answering the problem with your logic in the first question with the way you asked the second question, right? Nikola Jokic kicked ass, and the NBA doesn't need to devalue the regular season any more than it does. They need to make it more valuable. That's the task of the league. Make the regular season more valuable, more interesting, more fun. The way people talk about the league, they say, 
who gives a shit about the regular season? And in two years, is Damian Lillard going to play for the Knicks? Like that is bad for the league. That is a toxic way to market your product. It's why the league is unpopular. The league is filled, just absolutely filled with stars. Like it is in a, if just on a talent, from a talent standpoint alone, the NBA is in a wonderful place. There are so many good young players in the league right now, but we only talk about a handful of teams. And when any, any player gets good, we talk about when he will leave and join a larger market or a glamour franchise, whatever that might be. And it is bad. So I, I wholeheartedly disagree. The MVP absolutely needs to remain a regular season award because we need to celebrate the regular season. One of the things we could do is give it out before before the playoffs start and then the playoffs will be a separate entity we have a finals mvp and i think this is a bill simmons idea from way back when and i agree with it there should be a playoff mvp like in the bubble jimmy butler should have won the playoff mvp best player in the playoffs lebron wins finals mvp it's a way to recognize you sort of everyone uh nikola Jokic absolutely deserve the regular season mvp but the like playoffs mvp is probably gonna probably would go to somebody like joel Embiid, or depending on how it shakes out you know Kawhi leonard or something like that like or or chris paul right like it would i think we can add another award a, a playoffs mvp to kind of um capture what you're talking about the playoffs are 10 weeks long like it's a it's a it is its own long um sort of battle of attrition to get to the finals and win the championship. So I, I agree that maybe we could recognize that, but I am, I am very much against devaluing the regular season any more than it already is because the NBA does such a crap job of, of marketing it. But luckily you've got a daily podcast right here that celebrates regular season and celebrates joy. I love, I, the, I've said it here before. My favorite part of basketball is the basketball. So give me the regular season. I will pour into it. Um, but I certainly won't take away any awards while I'm pouring into it. Final question of the show comes from Dr. J, who asks, I give you a thought exercise of creating a reasonable trade for CJ McCollum or a reasonable trade for Damian Lillard, keeping all other people the same. Which trade, which team is better? Like which which team at the end of the trade is better? Uh, this is a longer email from Dr. J that I that I edited down. So so his his words are wor- my edits are maybe worse than his question was. Um, I think this is an interesting experiment in what you mean by better. Like it's an interesting thought experience. It's a theoretical question. I open the show with one of these, and I want to close the show with one of these too. Uh, like the best way for the Blazers to win a championship in the next three seasons is to very likely. It's not the only path, but very likely the best path for them is to trade CJ McCollum for one to two impact starter level players that will change the sort of makeup and shape and size of the roster and, and push the Blazers over the top with new parts that that function differently, that are a little more complementary or um, just a little bit, just add something a little bit different, add, add, you know, change up the recipe a little bit. That is the best way to win, to win in the near term is a trade for CJ McCollum. The best return you could get to make the Blazers the best over the next five seasons? Almost certainly trading Damian Lillard, right? Like, the best team you're going to make is going to be in 2026, but it'll be because you traded Dame for four first-round picks and a pick swap and a young, you know, and a, and a, and a young star or something, you know, to some extent. I was going to throw out a name, but I, I just railed against where's Dame going to go in the previous question. But, like, the best team in the near term is a CJ trade the best sort of like health of the franchise or whatever if you want like want to look 
you know, the Blazers like go into the desert and come out on the other side is a Dame trade. Um, I'll say this. I don't think tanking works. So I'm never going to be in favor of trading Dame for picks and letting him go. You get picks to find a player like Dame. You don't trade a player. You don't trade for picks. Uh, like if you don't trade a, a Dame for picks and then hope. Uh, you know who does that? Sam Presti does that because all those stars in OKC ask to leave. They say, I'm, I'm getting out of here. That's why Sam Presti is so good at trading stars for picks. Let's talk. Let's talk. You can, you can, um, you know, fla- flag down Ryland Stiles, who's the host of Locked on Thunder. Tell him to listen to from the 43-minute mark on of this podcast. Uh, and I don't think it works. I don't think tanking works. I don't think trading for draft picks works. I don't think you can build a championship team like that. I think you can build a pretty good team. I think you can build a team like Blazers level through that approach. It is so hard to get the draft picks right. Then once you get the draft picks right, you have to pay the draft picks. You have to pay them the right amount of money and you have to give them the right amount of role. Then you have to add complementary parts. And it's so hard. That's a four, five, six year process to build, right? How do you do it? You're the Suns and you miss the playoffs for 10 years. And then you get back to the Western Conference Finals because you hit on a draft pick like Devin Booker. And in year six, it finally worked out for him after five seasons of being bad. And you lucked into the number one overall pick in that draft and you nailed it. You got Mikhail Bridges and you got those things, but they didn't tear down for draft picks. In fact, they had a bunch of lottery picks and they drag on Bendered Marquise Chris their way to hell. Like it's, it is, it is so hard to build up from the studs. Um, I think the Thunder are a wonderful study and if that is possible, but there are so many more examples of teams becoming the Orlando Magic and the Sacramento Kings than some sort of magic of the 2012 Thunder's lone championship season or finals, NBA finals season rather. I think the Philadelphia 76ers are an interesting study in this too, right? Like they look like the team that could is going to compete for championships for the next few seasons uh, with this, with, you know, with the, the fruits of their teardown, right? But since then they've got, you know, several new front office executives. Um, they traded for Jimmy Butler and it didn't work. Like, like they have, they did tear it down to the studs and they've built this championship level team. And I will, I will gladly revisit this at some other point. If, um, when, when the Sixers win the title here in a couple weeks and you can, you can prove me I'm wrong, but I just, I think the path to winning a championship is having Dame and then something like it's getting the one pick right and getting that top 10 player and then building from there. Um, it is so hard to build from nothing. So uh, I know this wasn't really the question, but um, it, this is this sort of the, the like theory of team building is really interesting to me and I'm not sure tanking to the bottom works. Um, I would, if, if you have strong feelings about this, you know where to find me uh, locked on blazers at gmail.com. We can do, we can do a whole show. I'll bring on, uh, you know, my fellow locked on hosts who totally think that I'm an idiot for uh, for this anti-tanking take. Not even anti-tanking. I, I think you can build a good team with tanking. I don't think it makes. I don't. I'm not sure you can build a championship team with it. I just don't think. Um, I think it's too. I think that. Uh, I think zero to to the top of the mountain is is too challenging. That is going to do it for the show. We went a little long on the last question because I had a lot of thoughts and I wanted to share them with you. But uh, we do this each week. Lockdown Blazers isn't going anywhere. Uh, we're still rolling along daily episodes Monday through Friday, wherever you already get podcasts. And you can tell your friends that we're there wherever they already get podcasts too if they want to listen. We'll be back next week with Mailbag Monday. We've got more shows coming this week. 
Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.